I was driving back home from Kentucky um, a couple of weeks ago, a few weeks ago, and um, I was being good. I was driving the speed limit. And then you see this in the median. Have you all ever had that experience, see that kind of thing in the median? And so um, when I see that, I start praying, right? So I tap the brake and pray. My prayer life uh, increases quite substantially when I see an officer in the median. And I remember praying, and then um, there's that really bad feeling that when you're driving and you pass the police officer, then he gets in his car and pulls out right after you pass. And I'm thinking to myself, people have been passing me all day, and surely he can't be getting me, right? He just can't be me. And so I'm praying, you know, Lord, get somebody else, get somebody else, get somebody else, that kind of thing. And um, in the love of Jesus, of course. I'm in that in the love of Jesus. And then there's this moment where he speeds up and he gets right behind you. And then he passes. And it's like, hallelujah. And, and you start, thank you, Jesus, thank you, Jesus, thank you, Jesus. And I turned up the Christian radio. And um, now I'm wondering, okay, who's he going to get? So I have to speed up a little bit just to stay with him because I want to see who he pulls over. And he pulled some chump over. It's great. And uh, here's what you can't do, because I've done this before. You can't look at him. He pulled that guy over. One time, I, me and this other guy, were, we were both speeding, and the police officer pulled him over, but when he got out of his car, he got out of his car real fast, he waved me over too, so he got two for one. Never look, okay? Now, when they pull you over, they come to your window, they knock on the window, and they ask for something. Do you know? License and registration. I didn't know that. I've never had that happen. But uh, uh, that's, that's what happens, right? That's what happens. Um, I see that some of you had that experience. Now, s- suppose you were to say, uh, Officer, thank you for doing your job today. Um, but I need to let you know that my inner voice was singing, I can't drive 55. I was channeling my inner Sammy Hagar. And therefore... I know the rule says that this is the speed limit, but for me, that would be a little bit too prohibitive. In fact, officer, um, if they didn't want cars to go this fast, why would they make them go this fast, right? Uh, if we didn't, our worst was to go 90, uh, then uh, why would they make a car go 90? Now, we have a word for a person like that called a person with a ticket, because uh, you are not going to talk yourself out of getting a ticket just because you say, well, my inner person doesn't want to get the ticket. What if the IRS shows up at your house? And they knock on your door and they say, we've noticed uh, our records indicate you haven't paid your taxes in 10 years, and um, we need to rectify that. And you were to say, well, listen, um, I understand you have a job to do, but I don't believe in paying taxes because I don't think the government knows what to do with my taxes. They're not doing it very well. I didn't vote for this president. I didn't vote for the last three presidents. So, therefore, uh, it would be hypocritical of me to pay taxes to a government uh, that um, then wastes the money. Uh, we have a name for people like that as well. Uh, they're called tax evaders uh, or politicians. Uh, so, we have words for these things. What about a husband who says to his wife, now honey, um, uh, I I like you a lot, but uh, I feel 
constrained when I have to only look at you. And so uh, I've decided, um, my inner voice has told me that uh, when beautiful women walk by, it's appropriate for me uh, to engage them in conversation, try to woo them, uh, because that's what my inner voice says to me. We have a name for people like that as well. They're called a corpse. Uh, So... um, We're told what to do in life, and so the question for the day is, are you comfortable with God telling you what to do? Because it's a good question. God gives us instruction. In fact, today we're going to go back all the way to the Ten Commandments, and we're going to talk about how that is actually not restrictive, but freeing. Uh, Hopefully, I can make the point. So God delivers His people um, out of Egypt. They've been enslaved for 400 years. For 400 years, all they've known is slavery. Think about that. It's probably 10 generations or more. Uh, Life expectancy wasn't very great back then. The people that God delivered had never even known, I mean, hadn't even sniffed freedom. They don't even know what that means. So the first ones who were uh, enslaved, uh, I mean, 10 generations down the line, they, they would have no clue of what freedom is. And now God delivers them. By the way, you see this theme a lot in Scripture. There's this theme of, I was in slavery, but God delivered me. Uh, I was enslaved to sin, God delivers me. That kind of thing. You see that language a lot. And so God delivers His people. And then God instructs Moses what to say to them. Uh, This is what you're to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt. God delivers them with these ten plagues. It's amazing stuff. We're going to look at it in a couple of weeks. These ten plagues, uh, it's amazing that God does this. And he says, they have seen what has happened. Now, again, these are slaves who had never seen freedom, but they'd seen God's hand deliver them. And how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. And God is saying, hey, um, I am your deliverer. And he says this, now, if you obey me, fully and keep my covenant a covenant is like a uh, an agreement um, contract then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession although the whole earth is mine you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation these are the words you are to speak to the israelites and think about a people who have been enslaved now they're being called a treasured possession you want to know who didn't treasure them as a treasured possession the Pharaoh, who was their slave master. He worked them seven days a week. He worked them dawn to dusk. He worked them till they died, and then he just replaced them with the next batch. He had no compassion and no heart for them. And so you can imagine how these words sounded to people who had always been enslaved by a brutal taskmaster. And it must have been uh, music to their ears. He's saying, look, you have now an identity. You're my people. You're mine. And you also now have a destiny. I'm taking you into a promised land. But with that comes a responsibility. And so God says to his people here, if you will live by a certain standard, and he's going to give them this standard, it's called the Ten Commandments. In fact, the the Israelites never called it the Ten Commandments. That's an English thing. It's really called the Ten Statements. These are statements we're going to live by. If you'll live by that... All the other nations around you, and there were many, which had very vastly different kinds of beliefs and a different way of life, if you'll live by this standard, it will be so different than everyone else 
that it will be attractive to them. The idea is you'll, you're going to be a light in a dark world. And light attracts people. And you're going to live in such a way, and it will attract people. And all the people said, we'll do everything the Lord said. Yes, we're, we're on board. Okay. Those of you who are um, historians will know they really didn't do this very well. It didn't take long for them to stumble and not live by God's standards. Good intentions are one thing. I mean, I've had it. When I was in, um, I think I was in uh, maybe a freshman in high school or middle school. I don't remember now. But I had algebra, and uh, I, I wasn't good at algebra. And I brought home a grade one time, and it was not good. Not good. And, uh, uh, but I promised my mom and dad, hey, I'm really going to try to do algebra better. And then the next day I had like an assignment from algebra, and it's like, oh, there's numbers still. Uh, so with all those numbers and formulas, I wasn't going to do well. So I didn't do well. Uh, I had a great intention. I didn't want to disappoint, but I still just couldn't do it. All right, so let's go on. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God. Oh, now, time out, time out. Up until this point in history, uh, God has met with people solo. He met with Abraham by himself. He met with Moses by himself. He meets with people individually. This is the first time that I know of in recorded history where God meets with people, like a group of people. He has a, a hillbilly hoedown. He has everybody come, you know, and, and everybody, they're all going to go to the mountain to meet God. And they stood at the foot of Mount Sinai. And you can imagine this scene. There's uh, uh, tens and hundreds of thousands of people. They're at the base of the mountain, and they are about to meet God. And Jewish people uh, loved this event. Um, this was the event where they would they'd kind of say, hey, um, my ancestors were there. We do that in America. We have like the daughters of the American Revolution, and they, uh, they kind of date themselves back to uh, my great-great-great-grandfather was part of the Revolution. Or we date ourselves. Some people will say, you know, my, my uh, ancestors came over on the Mayflower, and that's the moment where they remember, you know, we become Americans. So, the, the Jewish people would remember the day they received the Ten Commandments, the law. They would remember it, and they, uh, they would kind of, this was their uh, line of demarcation. This is the moment that they uh, became God's people. And so, oh, wait a minute. So when they read the commandments, they would stand. I'm going to ask you to stand. When they read the commandments, they would stand. It's really important to understand this. So, let's do that. Read it together. And God spoke all these words. Now you've got to help me here. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. And it's more of a statement than a commandment. And he's saying, there is a God and it's not you. So just to reinforce that, I'd like you to turn to the person next to you and say, there is a God and it's not you. Say it right now. Go ahead. I heard a little snark in there, but that's okay. All right, it's okay. It's really important to understand this. Uh, there's God, God's saying, I'm, I'm God, and, there's, and it's not you. Second commandment, here we go. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. And something really interesting happens between the second and the third commandment. The first two God is speaking in the first person. 
I, I am, I am, I am. From this point on, everything is third person. It's as if Moses now takes over and starts talking about God. There's this debate as to why this happens. By the way, I'm not going to have you stand for the whole service. I know right now some of you are thinking, is he going to make us stand the whole time? Uh, just as long as I can. You know, I'm really, I'm testing you right now. Um, they have this debate, why did he shift? Why did it shift here? And the idea is, there is a time in Scripture where the Israelite people go to Moses and they say, if God has something to say to us, have him say it to you, and you speak to us. We're not so intimidated by you, but God scares the life out of us, basically, is what they say. And so Moses begins to go to God and then get the word of God, and he brings it to his people. So many rabbis teach that this was the moment, between the second and the third commandment, that this is the time where, where Moses just kind of takes over. Third commandment. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Fourth. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Don't worship your work, he was saying. Fifth. Honor your father and your mother so that it may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. Uh, if I can't read it, just go ahead. Uh, you're doing great. You're doing great. And this is even when it's difficult. Sometimes it's hard. To do this. Sixth commandment. You shall not murder. Got that one right? Good for us. Uh, you shall not commit adultery. And what he was talking about here is live a life of sexual purity. In our society and in our day, it's becoming much and much more difficult to do. Uh, number eight. You shall not steal. Don't be a taker. Be a giver. And he talks about this a lot. We're not to be people that are always taking. We also have to be, or we need to be people who give. Number nine, you shall not bear false witness. Be people of uber integrity. Last one, you shall not covet. All right, you can sit down. Thank you. You shall not covet is more of a, an idea of your attitude. It, it kind of controls uh, what else you do. And so uh, what he's saying is, I want you to live by this set of standards because it will be so different than everyone around you that it will be appealing to people. So everyone around you may lie, cheat, and steal to get ahead, but that's not who you are. And everyone around you may uh, just sleep around all over the place and have uh, uh, illicit sex everywhere, but that's not us. We're to be different kinds of people. Uh, has, have any of y'all ever watched the show uh, House Hunters? Anybody watch that? You can admit it. It's okay. Uh, it's okay show. Three people? Are you kidding me? Okay. Um, so House Hunters is about, uh, there's a couple or a person or whatever, they're looking for a house in a new, usually it's a new area, they're moving to Houston or whatever, and it's the show about them going to houses and looking and seeing where they might want to live. Uh, the American House Hunters, um, what's really interesting is how petty they are. They're, th these people... Oh, the, the carpet is, is beige, and I wanted light tan. Like, well, there's no difference. You know, uh, um, th those faucets, they're in bronze, and I really wanted black. You know, they're just really snooty. I, I, just, just kinda, I, I just don't like those window treatments. Those are boorish. You know, stuff like that. I'm not sure they ever said boorish, but I like the word. All right, so uh, they get kind of, they're a little snarky. So then Miriam and I discovered a, a show a, a while back. It's called Escape to the Country on Roku Channel. It is British house hunters. Oh, they're great. 
the British people are lovely. Uh, uh, they, they'll go into a home, and it might not be what they like, it, but they won't say, that carpet's ugly. They, they, they'll say, you know, the carpet is lovely. It's just not to my taste. And the whole time you want to drink tea uh, and eat a crumpet because they're just really pleasant. And I love watching this because I, I watch the American one and they're just kind of punks. And then the British people are like, oh, this, this is a lovely field. It's a lovely, lo- those flowers are lovely. Everything's lovely. Uh, uh, and I love it. I watch it and they, they you know, uh, the other day they, something was wrong and, and this guy said, I think it's knackers. It's like, I don't even know what that means, but it sounds awesome. And so uh, I watch the show because... There's a, it's different. And what God was saying is, listen, you people will be different. And, and he says, the, the people who I made for myself will make known my praise. Uh, they're going to be my representatives in the world. I was at Home Depot yesterday, or Lowe's, one of those places, and I had my UK hat on uh, because I'm a stranger in a foreign land here uh, in South Carolina. I had my Kentucky hat on, and a guy comes in with a UK hat on. It's like, oh, what up, dog? I mean, it's like, it's great. He didn't know what dog meant, uh, but uh, it was great. My people, you know, you're representing, but we were both repping the cats, and, and that's, the, God was saying, listen. You're going to be representing me in the world. And it's going to be so different that you're going to draw people to me. In fact, he said, you will be for me a kingdom of priests. What do priests do? They direct people to God. That is their job. And he's saying that's not just for people who are ordained or are schooled or who have been uh, uh, you know, selected by a church. You are a kingdom of priests. It's for all of you guys. We're all to live in such a way, not just people who are elected or set aside as holy. We're all holy. You're all to live in a certain way. And then he goes on, he says, this is how it's going to work. See, I have taught you these decrees and laws as the Lord my God commanded me. This is Moses speaking. So that you may follow them in the land you're entering to take possession of it. Observe these carefully. For this will show your wisdom and understanding to the nations who will hear about these decrees and say, surely this great nation is wise and understanding. And all these other nations had a plurality of gods. It's called polytheism. They had lots of different gods. But look what he says. What other nation is so great to have their gods with them, near them, the way our God is? The Lord, our God, is near us whenever we pray to him. And what other nation is so great as to have such righteous decrees and laws as their body of laws I'm setting before you today? It will be so different that people won't know what to do. Wow, those people live by a different set of standards. Uh, the other day I bought some sand. I was buying some sand at one of those home improvement places and uh, you know, when you're buying volume, you just stick it on your cart and you go up there. And when you're ready to check out, you say, I have five bags of sand. And they just beep once, uh, scan one time, and then they just put five in or something like that. So I went up and I said, hey, I have five bags of sand. And, and she rang it up. And when I got to my car, uh, I loaded six bags of sand. 
And so I have two options at this point. I can go back in and pay for one, or I can do it the next time I'm there. It's not like I don't go to Lowe's every day. And so uh, I just decided next time I'm there, I need to buy another bag of sand. I will. And so I bought another one, and I said, hey, will you ring me up for two? I only have one, but the other day I, got five, I, I paid for five, and I got six or something like that. And, and <laughs> she was like, are you kidding? That is so honest of you. It's like, well, I am a preacher. Uh, you know, uh, I'm better than most people, obviously. Um, the thing is, why do we not all do that? <laughs> My daughter, one of, one of our kids one time, we went to Walmart or someplace, and, and she had grabbed a toy and had stuck it under her, her, her bottom. She was sitting on it. And uh, I, I get to the car, and, and we had checked out everything, but we didn't check that out because I didn't know it was there. And so, so I lift her up out of the, out of the st- uh, stroller, the cart, and uh, what do y'all call it? You all call it a cart or a buggy? A buggy, that's right. Uh, I picked her. When I went to Michigan one time, I called it a buggy. And he said, what? And I said, I need a buggy. He said, what's a buggy? I said, one of them things right there. He said, oh, a cart. Uh, so I was like, okay. So I picked her out of the buggy. And I was about to put her in her car seat. And then, <laughs> then I noticed this toy. And so I had to get her back out and put her back in. And we had to go back in and, and buy this booty toy. Because who wants a... Oh, I, I'm not supposed to call it that. Um, <laughs> totally not that. Uh, this toy she'd been sitting on, because who's going to buy that, you know, so I had to buy this toy. Anyway, uh, well, we do stuff because we want to be honest. We want to go over and above. So uh, everybody else might be cheating, but that's not us. And everybody else might be promiscuous, but that's not us. And everybody else might, uh, you know, use language that's inappropriate, but that's not us. So we live in such a way, he's saying live in such a way that makes a difference. Now, the question is, And this is a really important question, actually. Did the Israelites just uh, trade one kind of slavery for another? I mean, they were slaves to Pharaoh. Now are they slaves to God? I mean, isn't God putting them under a burden? These laws? It's a burden. They, They were under a burden before, but it was a physical burden. Now they're under like a spiritual burden. And And did they just trade one slavery for another? I think it's a great question. So there's a couple of ways to look at this. So let, let's look at them, okay? Oh, did I miss one? Oh, oh, this is important. He says, be careful. This is difficult. To live differently is difficult. Be careful. Watch yourselves closely so that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen and let them fade from your heart as long as you live. Teach them to your children and to their children after them. Because these people had seen the ten plagues, but the next people, the next generation hadn't. And the children's children hadn't. And you have to remind them, this is why we live the way we live. There's a couple reasons. Number one, obedience to God increases freedom that matters the most. It increases the freedom that matters the most. Let me ask you a question. Does it take more energy to tell the truth or a lie? Well, it takes much more energy to kind of keep up with a lie. You have to remember who you told it to. You have to remember how many times you've told it. 
you have to try to figure out, if I tell that person a lie, do I have to tell all their friends the same lie? Um, I've watched enough episodes of CSI to know you never get away with it. They always catch you. Lies catch up to you. you know, the easiest way to live is to tell the truth. <laughs> then you never have to worry or wonder who you've told something to and try to always calculate, am I going to get in trouble for saying this? Uh, is that the exact story I told him last time? Do I have to back up out of this? Much more energy to tell a lie than to tell the truth. See, there's a couple kinds of freedom. There's the freedom from. The freedom, like, from rules. This is, you know, when Sinatra sang, I did it my way. And it sounds just like him, didn't it? Uh, uh, when, when he sang, I did it my way, he was saying, uh, you're not going to be the boss of me. I, have a, <laughs> I heard about a pastor, and he came home from doing a wedding. And his wife said, how did the wedding go? And he said, well, it was going pretty good. But then I got to the part where I said to the bride, do you promise to obey? And she said, do you think I'm nuts? And the groom said, I do. And uh, all went south. We, we all have this tendency, don't we, to not really want to somebody to tell us what to do. I got a buddy. Um, he tells me that sometimes at night, he and his wife are reading in bed, and they're about to go to bed. And uh, so he turns off the light on his nightstand. And then she's reaching to turn hers off, and he'll say, I command you to turn off that light. You must obey me. And he said they sleep in the light a lot. Uh, because nobody really likes it to be told what to do. We just don't like it very much. You're not the boss of me. What's really strange is this. Let's take alcohol. I've got the freedom to drink if I want to. I can do that if I want to. I can drink all I want to. Now, my, I have two uh, grandfathers who were alcoholics, and so for, in my DNA, there's a lot of compulsive stuff going on. wouldn't be good for me, but I can. Here's what I know, though, if I got involved in alcohol. Alcohol might then become too important for me. I have friends like this. I have relatives like this. They were free to drink, and then they drank, and then all of a sudden they noticed some things. It was kind of damaging their health a little bit, and it was kind of embarrassing their kids a little bit, and it was kind of hurting their marriage a little bit. It was kind of threatening their work a little bit. And all of a sudden, what they noticed was they were free to drink, but they weren't free to not drink. There's something that each of us has, a reality that we need to understand. It's called weakness. I can start things much easier than I can stop them. I can start on a path of destruction much easier than I can stop it. I'm free. Paul one time said, you're free, but don't let your freedom lead you into sin. There's, you have to be smart about this so i can be free from things but i notice i'm not always that free the other side is i can be free for things so we've already seen what god wants for us is that we are a light in darkness that we are a different kind of people that we set a standard that other people see and they want to be like they say to themselves we want to be like that and in Scripture, you see this whole notion of obeying and freedom going together. I'll keep on obeying your instructions forever and ever. I will walk in freedom. 
For I have devoted myself to your commandments. I will walk in freedom by keeping your commandments. Because here is the truth. When I make my desire my God, I always end up in slavery. It happens every time. When my desire becomes my God, I end up in slavery. It could be around money. I'm going to make lots of money. I'm going to you know, be stingy. I'm going to, it could be around that. It could be, it could be around anything, frankly. Any addiction, anything. Uh, it, when I make my desire my God, it always leads to slavery. However, when I submit my desire to God, it always leads to freedom. I get to choose which one it is. So, first thing is, when I obey, it is like the real freedom. It's really freeing. The second thing is, God is worth obeying. He, he has my best interest at heart. I heard about a little boy, his name was Frankie, about four years old. And his mom couldn't find him, and all of a sudden she finds him in the living room, and, and he has pulled up a chair, and he's kind of between the, the, pain, uh, the, the window, the picture window, and the curtain. So the curtain's behind him, and he's kind of standing there on the chair so he can look out. And she gets up close to him, and he's kind of mumbling, and what she hears him saying is, i got to get out of here. And a lot of times we, we want to do something that we probably shouldn't do. The Ten Commandments were given in the context of relationship. It's called a covenant. A covenant, uh, by definition, is a means to establish a relationship based on faithfulness. I promise to do something, and you promise to do something. It, that's what a covenant is. They've been around forever. They, they've, it's, it's like a contract. They've just been around forever. And so, there's this, we, we, get in, we enter this contract with God. He's going to do something, and we're going to do something. And back in the olden days, what would happen is uh, everybody would get a copy of the covenant. Just like today, if I enter into a contract, if I buy a car, the car people have a contract, and I have a copy of the same contract. Well, so when Moses goes on the mountain to get the Ten Commandments, he comes down with two tablets, right? Two. And I've always thought, well, he had like one through five on this one and six through ten on this one. But in covenants in the ancient times... Uh, God would have gotten a covenant, a copy, and the people would have gotten a copy. And so God says, hey, place those copies in the Ark of the Covenants. That's kind of symbolic of God's presence. And God was basically saying, I'm going to be with you, and I'm going to keep my end of the bargain. Now, there are a couple of types of covenants. There's uh, unilateral and bilateral. Bilateral is when everybody's kind of on an equal plane. Um, this would be, I've got a car, and you've got, uh, you know, $9,000, that's about what my car is worth, and we exchange. It's kind of even. You pay a fair price, and I have now money. That's kind of how that works. So we're kind of bilateral. Unilateral is more of, one entity is much more powerful than the other. And so they entered into an agreement. And sometimes you wonder, well, what did God get out of a covenant with people? I mean, God knows that we are weak. He knows that we're prone to sin. He knows that we're prone to wander. He knows that about us. So why would he enter a contract, a, a covenant with people who are prone to do the wrong things? Well, why do people adopt kids? When... When you look at adoption, you see the child gets all of these benefits. They get a home, clothes, uh, the protection. They get a family. 
They get food. They, they get all of these things. They're provided for. They're loved. Well, what do the parents get? Well, they get somebody to love. They get somebody to pour their lives into. God adopted us because He wanted to pour His life into us, to love us. It is a unilateral contract because He is much more powerful than us, but He chooses us because He wants to love us. You received God's Spirit when He adopted you as His own children, and now you can call Him Abba, Father. He he chose us because He wants to be in relationship with us. In Galatians 5.13 it says this, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. We are called to live a different kind of life. What we think is we get to choose for ourselves. Um, let's take sex, for, a, for example. Pe- people, nobody, I don't think, thinks sex has no meaning. They just say, I get to determine what the meaning is. Well, no, you don't. I mean, God is the one that says, I get to determine what the meaning is. Uh, he's the one. In Scripture, it says this is reserved for in a marriage between a, a, a husband and a wife. This is what it's to look like. It, it's exclusive. It is reserved. It is to bond couples together. This is what He's called us to do. It's different. Our world is becoming ever more promiscuous and uh, is denying that this is the truth. It doesn't make it not the truth. We live by a standard that's different than the world. We're called to that. I read a cute little story about a, a girl named Olivia. Um, she got to be Mary in the Christmas play, which is great, Christmas play. Now, also in this Christmas play at church, there was a little boy named Ben. And Ben, they, these are, kids are five or six years old. And Ben was a sheep. And Ben was walking around the night of the, the play, and, and he would go up to all the other kids, and he'd say, Hey, I'm Ben. I'm a sheep. What are you? And sometimes, you know, the response was, I'm an angel, or I'm also a sheep, or I'm a shepherd, or whatever. And then he goes up to Olivia and he says, Hey, I'm Ben, I'm a sheep, what are you? And she said, I'm Mary. And now he's like, oh, she's like the star. So now he has to justify his role a little bit. So as a five-year-old, he says, You know, being a sheep's tough. And she has to justify her role. And she says, Being a virgin's tough too. Uh, it, It is tough. It's tough to live a different standard. Hard. And so, we're called to a different standard. And there's a reason for it. Look, but you are a chosen people. Now, before God speaking to the Israelites, this is God speaking to Christians. You are a chosen people. Sounds very familiar, by the way. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possessions. Same language. The same language He used in the Old Testament, He uses in the New Testament. That... You may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into a wonderful light. You are to be light for the world. And again, He he warns, be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Even when they accuse you of being bad, they're going to see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. It is the same message from the old to the new. We are to live different than everybody else. And it doesn't matter what everybody else thinks. and doesn't matter what everybody else says. and doesn't matter what everybody else does. 
We are called to a specific, different kind of standard. And when we live it, people take notice and they are stunned. When I took that, when I had her pay for for more um, sand, she was shocked. It shouldn't be shocking. Uh, That should be what we do. That's how we live life. We're over generous. We're overly compassionate. We're overly gracious. We're overly kind. We're overly faithful. We excel in these things because that makes us different in a world. The question is, could the world be stunned again? If we start to live this way, would the world not be stunned again? Because the Israelites, they shook the world up. They had never, nobody had ever seen anything like it. And if we could live by our standard that God has called us to, people don't see that anymore. It's what we're called to. Let's pray. Father, thank you for calling us to a higher standard. Help us to live up to that higher standard. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.